Good morning, everyone. Good seeing you all here this morning. For those of you who are at home watching by the live stream, you're welcomed as well. If you're visiting with us this morning, we want you to know that you are a welcome guest and that we're thankful that you have come our, our way for these moments of worshiping together. We hope that you have been uh, filled up thus far with being able to sing these songs as well as spend some moments in prayer and, of course, gathering around the Lord's table and remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us. So this is the second day of spring, and I was reading somewhere about spring, and they were doing a survey, and they were asking, does it feel like spring where you live? Or does it feel like winter, or does it feel like this, or does it feel like that? And I didn't know what to an- how to answer that thing because spring in Idaho feels like spring in Idaho. You never know what spring in Idaho is going to be like. I remember years ago when I was living over in, in Caldwell, I remember I was outside, and I, th- I think we were playing like something like softball. And, and on that day, we had rain, we had snow, we had wind, we had sunshine. We had all those things in one day. And so it was uh, amazing. So, in Idaho, I don't know exactly when spring begins and when it ends. It kind of, it's like we're here in winter, and then we have some windy days, and, and some flowers start to pop up, but then it gets hot. And so anyway, spring is an interesting time for us, but what a great uh, time that we can be together with one another, worshiping God as we are this morning. And so let me remind you just of a couple of classes. One is I'm going to begin in a class this coming quarter on Wednesday evening on unlocking the book of Revelation Sunday morning, I didn't get a slide for this, but Sunday morning, Jared McCormick is going to be teaching on here, getting a grip. And so as we, you know, start to move out of this, hopefully this COVID era and into maybe some more normality, he's going to be talking about how can we get a grip on life and things that are important to us in life. And so let me encourage you to be thinking about that class when we get together on April the 4th and as one service being all together with one another in, in, in person. So let me ask you, at the end of a day, has you, have you ever uh, felt as though your mind is full? I mean, it, may, it could be that maybe you've started a new job and you have a lot of challenges that you're having to get your mind around, or maybe there is this project that you're working on that requires a lot of mental energy, or maybe you've been su- studying some kind of deep topic or subject that is super important to you. Along with those important matters, though, there's a lot of things that come crashing into our minds on a, I mean, in a very fast kind of pace. Everything we do uh, is brought into our, our minds, and we're caused to think about things. In fact, the, in fact your mind are constantly uh, taking in information. Because through your ears, through your eyes, this information is constantly flooding into your lives. And sometimes it's really good information and worthwhile information and and information that you want to retain. And sometimes the information is useless information. My guess is is that a lot of information we come in, it comes into our minds, and the result is, is that we begin to store all those things up. And because we store those things up at the end of the day, you feel as though your mind is full. And the reason why you feel like your mind is full is because it is. It is full. I was doing some reading about the mind and, and about uh, how we fill up our minds with information and how is it that we are able to delete or maybe recycle some things. And so I was reading some stuff about neuroscience. And the neuroscientists, they talk about this idea of being full or your brain filling up with all kinds of information. And the result of that is, as they said, is that your mind needs to have a reset or it needs to go through some kind of of cleaning because of all the information that we are taking into our minds. And guess when that happens? 
Well, it happens while you are asleep. While you're asleep, your brain begins to clean itself or it begins to reset it itself. And so you can see why it is so important that you get plenty of sleep and that you get the right amount of sleep because it's in those moments that you are going through a brain cleaning. In fact, the neuroscientists say this, that while you are asleep, your brain cells shrink by 60% uh, to allow the brain cleaners, these microglial cells, to come in and to take away all the, the waste and leave room for new information. And so your brain is resetting. One of the neuroscientists that I was reading, he likened it to your brain being like a garden. But inside this garden, rather than having a lot of fruits and vegetables and shrubbery and trees and plants and those things, your mind is in a, a, a kind of like a garden like that, but it's full of lots of leaves and a bunch of debris and old grass and things like that. And you need to have the cleaners come in and to rake that stuff up or to sweep the things away or to blow those things away because the garden needs to be cleaned so it functions the way the garden is supposed to function. Well, he was saying, or she was saying, that your brain is a lot like that. Your brain gets filled up and cluttered up with a lot of useless information that maybe your brain doesn't need it, and so it needs to go through this cleaning process. And that's why sometimes when you wake up in the morning after having this sleep, you feel refreshed. All of a sudden, your mind is quick, it's clear. You're able to get things. Things begin to make more sense to you because you went to bed with your brain all cluttered up and you woke up and, and your brain has cleaned away a lot of this useless information, making room for new information. That's why they talk about power naps, 10 or 20 minute naps during the day where you have maybe been doing a lot of brain crunching and for you to take this short nap allows these cleaners to go in and to remove the old information or some of that information and create a learning space for the new information to come in. In fact, they likened it to this here. This says, thinking with a sleep-deprived mind is like hacking your way through a dense jungle with a, a machete. It's, it's, over, it's overgrown. It is slow going. And, he, and they say it is an exhausting uh, thing. And so if you think about trying to do something while it's late at night, and I do that a lot. I study a lot at night. Generally, preparing for, say, this morning's lesson, you know, I wrote the lesson. It, it's all finished up by uh, Thursday evening, by Friday evening, and then Saturday will be my night where I crunch, where I try to really get a lot of things in. But if I didn't sleep well the night before, or if I've been really task-oriented that day, then it comes to about 6 o'clock, and I start working on the lesson, trying to memorize and spend time with it for the next four hours. And there's time where my brain feels like I got brain sludge, that, you know, there's just too much going in there. And finally, I just have to say to myself, you got to stop. You got to stop, you got to go to bed, and then hope for a cleaning, <laughs> seriously speaking. So thinking on a well-rested brain, the neuroscientist says, is like wandering happily through a park. The paths are clear and connected to one another in distinct spots. The trees are in place. You can see far ahead of you, and it's invigorating, or it is refreshing. But here's the thing. You need to be mindful of being mindful what your mind is filling up with because you in reality really have a lot of control over what goes into your mind. Your eyes and your ears are gateways to information, but you have a, you know, you have a lot of control over what your brain is going to clean and what it's going to delete or what it's going to recycle. 
the information that you use or you dwell on, the things that you are the things that you, you retain are the things that are, are nurtured. And sometimes the things that are nurtured are not the good things that you need to be uh, dwelling upon. Sometimes there's not so good things that are there. But whatever you decide that you're going to uh, dwell on or, or think about on a regular basis, those things are, are nurtured. The things that are not are marked or coded, as the neuroscientists say, and they are recycled or they are deleted uh, from your brain. And so you need to be mindful about what you think ab about. If you spend too much time thinking on things like the pandemic, or you spend so much time thinking about politics, or about sports, or about pornography, or you just name it, and I guess, you know, I'm not linking, you know, pornography with pandemics, and so you get what I'm saying. I'm just saying that there are things that we, dwell, or we allow our minds to dwell on, and those things that we allow our minds to, to dwell on, uh, they could be the ones that we think most about rather than some spiritual matters. Well, what are the ones that get recycled? What are the ones that get deleted? The ones that, you don't, the ones that you don't think about as much. So to take advantage of your, your brain's natural cleaning system, you simply need to think on things that are important to you. Your cleaners will strengthen those connections and remove those ones uh, that uh, you, you have. Okay, so... You know, there are fancy words that go along with this. They talk about synapses, and they talk about uh, microcells or glial cells, and they, they talk about neurons and all those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, it's just talking about getting a mindset or a, a reset in your life. Jesus even talked about this very thing over in Matthew, the 12th chapter, verses 34 and 35. He's speaking to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, he says, you brood of vipers. How can you speak, uh, 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 how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart, uh, 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 the, the mouth speaks. In other words, what he's saying, what's in you is what comes out of you. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. He's talking about the things that we allow to go into our our minds and other places Jesus says do not lay up treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and still but lay up treasure in heaven where moth and rust does not destroy and thieves do not break in and still for where your treasure is there is your heart also and the heart is oftentimes almost a synonym for the mind the things that we think about the things that we treasure up in our our minds and so as I thought about the, the lesson for this week and I thought about the, all this ideas, these ideas of resetting, well, in keeping with the ideal of reset, is there a, a chance that we need to have a, a mental reset? And not just, I'm not just talking about your biological mind, okay? I'm talking about your spiritual mind. I'm talking about your spiritual heart. Is there a need for having a mindset reset in our lives? And I would submit to you that because of the fact that we are so, you know, bombarded with all kinds of things coming into our minds and into our, our brains maybe we need to maybe need to take some time to do some mind resetting why is it because god wants to change the way we think and the way we live over in romans the 12th chapter in verse 2 a passage of scripture that you're so familiar 
with their Paul said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind so that you might prove what is the good and acceptable will of God is, what he uh, accepts, what he is approved of, okay? And so sometimes we need to back away from those things. So he says, do not be, do not be conformed. Don't get molded into the way the world thinks about things or how the world speaks or how the world acts. But have your minds transformed. How do you do it? He goes, by renewing them. And the only way you can renew them is by getting into his word or getting into what the holy inspired word uh, says to us. So our primary focus this morning, if you hadn't already got it, is that, is that of the mind. Why? It's because our minds is where everything originates. Our actions, our words, they all originate from what we think about and what our minds are doing. So we're going to take a look at our, our mindset and ask God to help us change those things that need to be changed. And we're going to look at four areas, hopefully very briefly. The first one is that I think in order to reset your mind is you have to reassess the mind. You have to do some reassessing of your mindset. You might say it's evaluating the things that are going into our minds. So once again, look at Romans, the fifth chapter, of the eighth chapter, if you would, and notice verses five through eight. And I want to just read it and to emphasize a few words that are there. Dave did a wonderful job reading it, but let me just share some things here with you. Beginning in verse five. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So in that section of Scripture, Paul uses this word mind, and the word mind, it comes from the Greek word phrosune, and the word phrosune, it refers to the direction one seeks or, or strives or directs their mind that affects their, it affects their disposition. It affects their attitude. It affects their action, their behavior. And that's why Paul's talking to the Philippians about some difficulties that they're having there between what seems to be a couple of households. And he says in verse 5, he says, have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus. Another translation says, have this mind in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus. So our minds affect the way our, our dispositions are going to be or what our attitudes are going to be. And it affects our actions or our behaviors. In other words, we, the way we think is the way we are. But it's more than just thinking or forming thoughts, this word frosune is. It's, it's not just about just thinking. It's really about our, your worldview. It's about how you perceive life. Uh, it's your perspective about life. Some call it your paradigm. And it's more than just thoughts. It's the way you see God or the way you see truth or the way you see other people or maybe even the way you see your, yourself. And it's because your mind is a collection. It's a collection of presuppositions. It's a collection of presumptions. 
It's a, a collection of objective things and subjective things. It's a part of all of that. And some of it is good and some of it is bad. And there's times when we need to reset and try to get the bad stuff out and bring the good stuff in, inside. So there's a need to reassess our, our mindset and based on how we think about you know, various situations in life. And that's why I know you can reassess your mind. You can look at the situations and how you've acted during those situations and you can ask questions and you can take Romans the 8th the chapter verses 5 down through 8 and you can take it apart and see that there are some questions that you can ask. For instance, ask this. When you're getting ready to come into a decision or a situation, ask is this what God wants? Does God want this out of my life? That he, does he want me to think this way or to act this, this way? Is it consistent with life and peace? Will it bring to my life more peace and, and more joy? Will the fruit of the Spirit be more obvious or evident in my life because of this, this question? Does this bring honor to God? Or is it, does it reflect hostility toward a God? Or ask, who's in control here? Is the spirit in control here or am I in control? And so those are the kinds of questions that we find ourselves needing to ask. The shepherd king of old said these words, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me to the way that is everlasting. David was being honest. He was saying, here's what my mind's about. Search it. Sift through it. Look at it. Is there anything that is amiss there that I need to be letting go of? And so how do you go about doing that? Well, I think in order to get an accurate view of our, our mindset, I think God has to show us. Well, how is God going to show us? Well, he shows us through the inspired word of God what is acceptable and what is unacceptable. In fact, he talks to us about the life in the flesh as opposed to one that is in the spirit. If you will, just keep your finger at Romans 8 chapter and turn over to Galatians chapter 5 because I think in that section of scripture, he shows us the difference between the two. In fact, Romans 8 and Galatians 5 are closely connected in terms of thought between spirit and and flesh and how we live our lives but notice verse 16 of of galatians 5 here's what he says but i say walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and spirit against the flesh for these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under this law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. He goes on and lists a lot of things there that gives us an idea. I don't think it's a complete list, by the way. But it gets you going in the right direction. Is here's how a fleshly person thinks. Here's what a fleshly person allows their minds to dwell upon. In opposition or contrary to living by the Spirit. Verse 22. But the, and by the way, of, of the, the acts of the flesh or the life of the flesh, he says such people will, and actions will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now listen to this. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, 
let us also walk by the Spirit. And so Paul here is talking about the Spirit dwelling within us, and that he says it should be affecting our minds. It should be challenging our minds in, in incredible ways. And so the Word of God allows us to do some reassessing or evaluating, or what's our mind bent towards? Is it bent more towards the flesh, or is it bent more towards the, the Spirit? Well, the encouragement is that obviously we want to be spiritual people or we wouldn't be here this morning or you wouldn't be watching on the, the stream here. So the first thing is to reassess the, our mindset. Secondly, is to resign our mindset. What does the word resign mean? It means to relinquish, to give up, or to surrender. And so there's times when we need to give up and to surrender some things. Look once again at Romans, the 8th chapter. Notice verse 9 and 10 here. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if Christ is in you, through the, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. And then when you compare that then... 24 and 25 says listen if we live by the spirit let us also walk by the spirit and so the idea is is that you know if the spirit dwells within us and if the spirit is that is he who inspired the word of god breathed life into the word of god and it's profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness then the question would be okay so who are we who are we controlled by who is forming our minds? Who is transforming our, our, our minds? The, the question is, is who's in control of our lives? Now, even though the Spirit dwells within us, He is not going to so invade our lives that He takes away our free will. No. I mean, we are allowed to make choices. We can choose to get into the Holy Inspired Word of God, or we can choose not to. We can choose to live according to the Spirit, or we can choose to live according to the flesh. That is our choice, but there are consequences for both of those things. But until we come to God in, in terms, uh, in, on His terms and surrender ourselves entirely to Him, we cannot honor Him with our thoughts or with our behavior. There has to be a surrendering or a resigning or a relinquishing of those things that we sometimes hold dear to ourselves. So if God's Spirit lives within us, then we must not, uh, you know, we have to stop living as though he does not. If, that, if what Paul said is true, if the Spirit dwells in us, then here's what should be happening. And so we need to live as though, is it? Now, in the churches of Christ, I know sometimes we have quenched down and we have pressed down the Holy Spirit, probably because of the charismatic movement and so forth, that maybe have taken too much license with it. But nevertheless, is the Spirit living within us? Is the Spirit transforming us? Is He changing our, our lives? Well, how do we do that? Well, we do it by surrendering our hearts and our minds to the Holy Spirit who lives in us that is revealed within His Word so we can know what we're supposed to be like. But that's where the challenge is for Christians. A fellow by the name of Greg Crochelle, he wrote a book called The Christian Atheist. Okay, when you, when you first look at that, that uh, title, The Christian Atheist, you say, what? How can that be? It, it's an oxymoron, isn't it? It just doesn't seem to fit right. In his book, here's what he writes about. 
He says a Christian atheist is a person who is believing in God, but living as though he doesn't exist. He's talking about Christians, okay, from his point of, of view. And in the, in the beginning of the book, as he sets up the book, he has this statement. He writes this. He says, as much as I don't want to admit it, I see this kind of atheism in myself. People might assume that a pastor wouldn't struggle with any form of atheism, but I certainly do. Sadly, Christian atheism is everywhere. There has to be a better way to live. This book is for anyone courageous enough to admit to, to their hypocrisy. I hope it pushes you, challenges you, and disturbs you. And if you're honest before God, as I am trying to be, perhaps together we can shed some of our hypocrisy and live a life that truly brings glory to Christ. And if I were being honest with you, which I try to be, would you allow me to say to you that I find myself like this guy from time to time? Where I'm a Christian and I believe in God, but there's times as though I think and act as though he does not exist. Now that's scary because what that means is there's kind of, sometimes I do things without thinking of his presence continually dwelling within me. And there are, are times when I do things or think things uh, where it doesn't bother me as much as it should. I saw a Facebook page that said, we only tolerate that which we consume. And so, you know, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we have to, I think, at least address this idea is, I mean, if you don't like the word Christian atheist and I'm, you're saying, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to own that atheist word. Okay, you don't have to. But would you agree that there's times when you live as though God doesn't exist and that you act as though sometimes God doesn't exist and that you're not as effective as, as much? It doesn't, you know, prick your heart as much as maybe it, it should. Well, that's the idea of resigning. We have to be willing to you know, resign. If anything, if any of us want to change the way we live and the way we think, we're going to have to come to a place where no, we no longer accept things the way they are. We can't say, well, that's just the way I am. Because the only one who can say that, I, just as I am, is Jesus Christ. The rest of us, we're all a work in progress. We all are being changed from one glory to the next. So what Paul is saying is that you have to be willing to turn away from the wrong in your life, and surrender yourself to Jesus, trusting him to forgive you and to change you forever. And that's his promise to us. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's a, we're all a work in, in progress. But he'll show us a new way of thinking and a new way of acting. And so... You know, we need to reassess our minds. We need to resign our minds for this mindset. And then secondly, or thirdly, we need to redirect our mindset. What are the things that we're giving our minds to? Here are just some really quick passages for you to think about. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3, Paul said, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So what is it that your mind is about? I saw this little thing that someone posted the other day on Facebook that 
it, it really spoke to me, and I was telling Lori about it as we was out on a walk uh, last evening, and, and, and it shows a guy, he's, he's driving a, a yellow vet, a yellow Corvette, and he looks up and he sees a helicopter, and he says, I wish I had one of those helicopters. And then the next slide, it shows a BMW, SUV BMW, parked next to the, the vet. And the guy in the BMW says, I wish I had one of those vets. And then the next slide shows the BMW with a new sedan car parked beside it. And the guy looking over at the BMW's SUV and saying, I wish I had one of those SUVs. And then it shows the nice sedan car with a little messed up little car, beat up car next to it. And the person says, I wish I had one of those new cars. Then it shows the beat up car and a guy on a bicycle. And the guy on the bicycle says, I wish I at least had a beat up car. And then it shows the next guy with a bicycle with a guy who is a pedestrian that is standing and the guy is saying, I wish I at least had a bicycle. Then it shows a guy in a window looking down at the guy with the two legs who has no legs and saying, I wish I had legs so I could go like him wherever he wants to go. And then the caption was, maybe somewhere along life we need to get happy with where we are and not want so much. And, I, and, and, and that's the thing course that's how I apply it you can apply it how, how however you want okay but that's what made this passage made me think of I know it grows, grows much deeper than that okay but he's saying where does your brain go where does you where does your mind what is it driven toward what does it want the most and Paul says I know the life I know what it is to be in the flesh and so he says let's make sure that we set our hearts on things above where Christ Jesus is seated at the right hand of God let's set our minds on things above and not on earthly things why because we've died to those things and we're alive in in christ here's another passage romans 12 and verse 2 we just read do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of the sort but transformed by the renewing of your mind that you'll be able to test and approve what god's will is his pleasing and perfect will is your mind being transformed second corinthians 10 and verse 5 we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ are we doing that are we taking all of our thoughts and making them obedient to Jesus Philippians 4 and verse 8 fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right think about these things that are pure and lovely and admirable think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise some person says let your minds dwell on these things and not on the anxieties of the world or the fleshly things of the world and so what these passages are telling us is that we need to redirect our minds. And it means you've got to make a conscious effort to do so, which leads to the very last one, and that is reassuring our mindset. Look again at Romans chapter uh, 8 here. The word reassurance is something such as information, praise, or an action or gesture that soothes, comforts, or restores confidence. And in my mind, as we read this next passage of Scripture, it's the idea of restoring confidence. But look at verse 11. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who indwells you. So what is he talking about? Well, here's what I think he's talking about. If the Holy Spirit has the power to resurrect Jesus from the dead, and the promise is that he has the power to resurrect you from the dead, then doesn't he have the power or the ability to transform 
and reset our minds. To renew our, 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 our minds. The same Holy Spirit that lives in you now wants to help you reset your mind to think holy thoughts and to reset your life to live a holy life. But you have to be willing to do those things. You have to be willing to be honest with yourself and do some reassessing. You have to be honest with yourself and ask, do, is there anything that I need to resign? Is there anything that I need to, you know, surrender? You, you see what I'm saying? We need, are you willing to redirect your mind and not, be set, and not settle for just who you are and what you think about, but redirect it? And then, of course, this reassurance is promised uh, to, to us. So Max Okato wrote this short story called With You All the Way. And in the story, he talks about three knights who are uh, given a challenge that uh, whoever wins the challenge can win the king's daughter's hand. And so the challenge was is that these three knights, um, Carlisle and uh, Alon and Cassidon, uh, they were going to take on the challenge. And the challenge was that they had to enter into a force, which was called a hemlock force, extremely dangerous force, because in the forest were these creatures called the Hope Knots. Hope Knots, they were these sly, clever, sneaky things. Uh, they weren't strong, but they, could, they were mind twisters. And they had to go in it. And so the king said, okay, as you go into this thing, you need to recognize the dangers that are, are there. And so as you enter into the Hemlock Forest, the way that you're going to find your way back to the castle is is I'm going to play a song on, on, on a flute. To which at that point, he pulls, the, the prince pulls, his son pulls out of his bag a, a flute. And he plays this beautiful song on the flute. His, this flute is going to be, this song is going to be played three times a day. And when you hear that song, follow the song and follow it and you will eventually get out of the hemlock forest. And so, he, and, and, and the king's son said, or the king said, but he goes, one thing will help you through the force is that you don't have to go by yourself. You can choose a companion to go with you. So Carlisle was known to be the strongest. And Alon, he was known to be the, the fastest, the speediest, the quickest. And Cassidon, the wisest. So they each chose their companion and they each set out individually on their own and they went out into the hemlock forest and were gone for some time. And people were wondering who was going to win the, 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 the princess's hand? Who's going to win the king's daughter's hand and survive the forest? And after some time of wandering about it for days and days, eventually one of the people who was a lookout saw two men stumble out of the forest. And he ran and he told the king, and the king says, go and get those guys, bring them to the castle, dress them in princess garments, and listen, I don't want anyone to see them. Don't, don't reveal who it is. I want to reveal them tonight at the banquet. And at the banquet, we'll show the one who has won my daughter's hand. So the night of the banquet, everyone is extremely excited. I mean, it was a, a, a jovial scene. is an incredible scene. And uh, they're all wondering who, you know, who survived the force. Was it Carlisle, the strongest? Was it Elan, the quickest? Was it Cassidon, the wisest? Who, who won it? And then the king pulled out his flute and he began to play the song. And when he played the song, the winner came in. 
and the winner was Kassadon, the wisest. And the king asked him, how were you able to survive the journey through the hemlock forest? And the man said, well, he said, um, when we were going through the forest, he says, these hope knops were terrible. They constantly attacked us, but we were able to beat them back. But that wasn't the, the hardest part. The hardest part was when we'd hear you, blow the, you play the song on the flute. All of a sudden, there were hundreds of other songs being played at us at the same time. And to distinguish between the song that you were playing and those other songs, that was the challenge. But my companion helped me. He was with me all the way. At which uh, the king played the song. And when he did, he motioned over and his companion walked in, carrying a flute as well. And the companion was the king's son who had went with him. He says, I chose him because I knew he knew the song well. And when we got into the forest and we're hearing all these different voices, all these different tunes coming at us, I knew the song so well I could distinguish it. And my companion was with me to help me do, to do so because he was with me all the way. Okay, so what is this about? I'm talking about the Spirit being with you all the way. I'm talking about Jesus being with you all the way as you live your life. You have a companion that walks with you. And so we've seen that the Spirit is with us and that he wants to reset our, our mind. And so as we seek him, we must not settle for cheap imitations or other songs. We need to listen to his song. And then let the celebration begin. There is one who is with us. And so may God bless you as you reset. And as you think about your spiritual mind and where it is. And whether there is a need to have it reset or not. And you can do that while together we stand and sing. And you respond as you feel the need in your heart.